welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends, as Jenna said, we've, we've flipped the script here a little bit this morning, so we're going to get right to the teaching and a, a, a time of response at the end. We've got a student section right over here, so I think some of the kids are going to come up a little bit later. The band, this is the band, so they'll be up there, but this will be, you know, the kids may come up afterwards. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, John chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. And I actually want to begin with a quote uh, from, well, I'll just read it. Uh, says this, the gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls, throwing open the doors and shouting, welcome, there's bread and wine, come eat with us and talk. This isn't a kingdom for the worthy, it's a kingdom for the hungry. That's Rachel Held Evans, uh, who um, was a uh, young woman who was a, a a really important voice in, I think, the work uh, that Awaken is interested in doing, who just recently passed away this weekend. Um, and I just thought, man, what a beautiful way to say it, um, but also just a really sad moment, I think, for many of us who enjoyed her writing and the work that she was doing in calling the church to be the church in some ways. And, and I think, in, in, if I could be so bold as to say, really got this idea that we're talking about in this series. Um, so we, we're in week three of a series called Wells and Fences, and uh, we're asking, we've, we've done this series before, but we've, we keep coming back to it because it's asking really important and fundamental questions about what kind of church do we want to be? Uh, what's the animating energy and sort of what's the thing behind the thing? What moves us and, and motivates us? And we've been using this metaphor of wells and fences, or a well and fences, connected to this idea of bounded set and centered set community. So if you're, if you're new, uh, just to get you up to speed, if you've been here a while, by the time we're done with this series, you should be able to do this little intro that I do. So if you want to throw that um, picture up, this is a, a, an idea of bounded set and centered set. It's actually a psychological idea. And it really talks about two different communities, or, or ways in which communities organize themselves and um, what becomes the most important thing? And so on the left, you have a bounded set. And in a bounded set, what's most important is the boundary. And it determines who's in and who's out. The most important question in a bounded set is, do you believe what we believe? And in bounded sets, often everybody has to sing the same notes at the same time. So we're looking for unison and no divergence. Uh, a lot of times, the energy is, is really on patrolling the edges and making sure, you know, it's patrolling the borders, as it were, and making sure whoever should be in is in and whoever shouldn't be in is out, uh, in, in its worst-case scenario. On the right-hand side is a centered set, and the most important question there is, um, are you thirsty? Or, or are you interested in what we've deemed to be in the center or the thing that we've committed ourselves to as a community? So the energy is less about patrolling the edges and, and determining who's in and who's out. And really, two different people with two different convictions could be coming at um, the same thing, the thing in the center, this Jesus, from very different perspectives. So unison isn't uh, the most important thing, but rather harmony. Can we sing the same song the same, in the same key, but actually people are singing different parts, and that's part of the beauty of it. Um, which I think is, is lovely and wonderful when it works. It's a disaster when it doesn't, right? <laughs> and that's the risk and the reward of this thing that we're trying to do here. 
Um, but we're just saying uh, out loud at, at, at Awaken, the well in the center then is the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're committed to. That's what's in the center and the thing that we're all saying. I can say yes to that. I may disagree with you on a Christian response to war or when Jesus is coming back or any number of things, but I'm committed to that thing and you're committed to that thing. And so we're brothers and sisters in Christ then. And so we do the work of the kingdom together, right? So this is Wells and Fences. I'm going to actually ask Alia to come up and she's going to share... In this series, we've been having people share about like why Wells and Fences has meant something, and so Alia is going to share a little bit about that, and then we'll talk about our specific affirmation for today. So, my friend Alia. Thank you. <laughs> so, my name is Alia Bood, and I started attending Awaken regularly about five years ago, during my junior year of college, which was a very formative time in my life. I look back and and realize that now. And uh, I was a leader in the InterVarsity student group at Hamlin University, and being part of that faith community um, was also very helpful in my growth as a spiritual person. It was the first time in my life that I was surrounded by people who acknowledged the same God, but maybe differed in other aspects of their faith because of their unique life experiences. And I remember experiencing some cognitive dissonance around that, and I was scared to question my beliefs and potentially form new ones. I grew up in a church tradition where everyone seemed to agree with the same interpretation of the Bible, and what was right and wrong were clearly defined, like who and what to vote for. Um, and there are many years, actually, that I believed that God wouldn't want a woman to be president or to pastor a church. These kind of convictions continue to make others question or have a difficult time relating to the priorities of people who go to church. So when I was first invited to visit Awaken back in the joke joint, my heart was open to questioning those non-essential aspects of faith that I was convinced were essential. And I began to examine my biblical interpretations that no longer really aligned with my worldview and most importantly, how to truly love people and not take it upon myself to judge them. One of the most important lessons I've learned from Micah's teachings is to analyze whether your picture of God's character is in line with the Jesus that we observe in the Bible. Jesus was constantly befriending the marginalized and putting them first. He didn't um, care about the religious expectations of his day, and that's one of the many things I love about the culture here at Awaken. In a society where people are constantly finding reasons to build fences and walls, I find comfort in imagining God's compassion as a well. Thank you. Thank you, Alia. Um, John chapter 16, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, and if you can, I'll invite you to stand as we read a portion of John's gospel, and then we'll dive in this morning. John writes this, or records this, uh, this is Jesus speaking, starting in verse 5, he says, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. 
about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to the Spirit, or I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn our attention to the scriptures and imagine and wonder about what does it mean to be dependent on this Holy Spirit that you have promised and sent and given, um, I pray that you would open our ears that you would open our eyes, that we would have hearts that are filled with courage for whatever steps may need to be taken or maybe uh, we, we're invited to take towards you and towards following you. Uh, I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit and all of God's people said together, amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. So the covenant has six affirmations at its center, things that they have said, these are the essential sort of baseline, some might call them orthodox Christian ideas about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the job of the church or the role of the church in the world. And this morning we're going to look at uh, affirmation number three, which is a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know this or not, but it took the church um, fathers at that point, not a lot of mothers were involved in this conversation, um, which was not, uh, well was a product of its time, maybe not the most helpful, but it took the church almost 300 years to determine or to give language to this doctrine that we now call the Trinity. For the first few hundred years of Christianity, there really was no doctrine of the Trinity. They were trying to figure out how the Bible speaks about God as this sort of mysterious Trinitarian thing that God exists as three but as one. Uh, and the best language, this is what I find so humorous, the best language that they could come up with to describe this mysterious divine being that existed as three and as one was perichoresis. This is a Greek word. It comes from two words put together. Peri meaning circle and choresis where we get choreography, the word dance. So the best language that they could come up with to talk about God was a circle dance. <laughs> la da 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 <laughs> Uh, that's not in the notes. I will not. That God, somehow, in these three persons, is this sort of endless um, giving to one another, kind of reciprocating one to another, this dance of being. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Richard Rohr, speaks about this topic, and he writes it this way. He says, whatever is going on in God is a flow, a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three a circle dance of love. God is absolute friendship. God is not just a dancer. God is the dance itself. Say it again, Richard. Man, so good. If this is true and God exists as Trinity, then what were the early covenanters saying when they said, one of the affirmations that will stand at the center of this group of people, this movement, is a conscious dependence on this Holy Spirit, one of the three persons of the Trinity. And remember, this movement that we're a part of 
uh, pietism, and then the covenant, the evangelical covenant, uh, began as a renewal movement. So late 1700s, early 1800s, a renewal movement breaks out in a fresh wind of God's spirit. Actually, the whole thing begins out of dissent, a group of people who sense God's spirit moving, who, where the institution was deaf to the, spirit, the movement of the spirit, who are saying, no, we're going to follow that. This whole thing begins as the spirit blows through the halls and the hollow hearts of a dead state church in a post-Reformation, post-Enlightenment world. Uh, so as the covenant was forming, this very real and dynamic experience of God's presence through the Holy Spirit was a part of, was at the heart and soul of the beginning of this story. Uh, so much so that at one of the first organizational meetings of the covenant, one of the more notable figures, a guy named C.A. Bjork, why do they do that? I, what would I be? M.J. Witham. Um, he says this, he says, an organizational meeting can never produce unity. Hallelujah. Say it again, C.A. An organizational meeting can never produce unity, but God's people becoming one through the leading of the Holy Spirit can produce unity. I'm going to read just a section from uh, some of our documents called the Covenant Affirmations. They write this. The early covenanters believed that the, each Christian needs to await the voice of God as revealed not only to the individual, but also through the witness of believers. So there's this check and balance, right? They want to preserve a word from the Lord for someone or from someone, but also not, if you've ever been, ever been at that meeting where it just goes a little kooky real quickly, somebody's like, I got a word from the Lord. And it's like, what are you even talking about? They wanted to preserve that because that's true and real, but also not unchecked or un, uh, unguarded. But So we, we, we check that with the, the gathering of believers to witness of others. They believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active through preaching, Lord willing, the sacraments, the scriptures, and the witness of one another. So the covenant church believes that the Spirit of God is active and blows where it chooses. John 3. We are often surprised at the unfolding of God's purpose, suggesting that our ways and thoughts are not always the ways and thoughts of God. For this reason, covenanters desire to cultivate a healthy humility before God, open to the leading of the Spirit. When God was about doing a new thing, Isaiah 43, we wish to perceive God at work rather than to be found dull. Amen? We wish to see the eyes of, with the eyes of the Spirit, not merely our own. And so this deep, and trust, this deep trust and gentle leading of the Spirit has remained true of the covenant church through the years. And we're just saying in 2019, 130-some years after its beginning, it's, we want it to still be true today. So Jesus promises the coming of the Spirit in John 16, which we read, and in other places, whose job it is to turn on the lights said more traditionally, to convict of sin. Uh, we get this in our passage, uh, this leading of, into truth and into righteousness, to comfort and equip, to enable the church to be God's people. And then in 1885, when the covenant begins, they say a conscious dependence on this spirit is necessary for the life of the church and for the believer. So I want to ask, why did they say this? And why is this important to guide the rest of our time? Why did they say this, and what does it mean that they said this? So, let's, let's tackle the first one first. Why did they say that a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit was necessary for the life of the believer and for the church as a whole? I want to suggest that they said this, and I think this is true, because God is not done speaking and revealing. 
To say that a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit is necessary is predicated on the assumption that God isn't done speaking. Have you seen some of the, I think it's the United Methodist Church, they've got like the quotes, God's not done speaking with the ellipsis, you know? Like, do you actually believe that that's true? Or has God like said everything God wanted to say, canon is closed, the Bible, the canon, it's closed, no further uh, messages will be sent. All we have to do is interpret what's already been said. Is that true, or is God still up to, is God still in the business of speaking and revealing to those who are seeking, right? Is this an ongoing work of creation, or is creation static, or is it dynamic? Is God up to something and moving and and speaking? Think about it the other way, right? If God is done speaking and revealing, and there's nothing more that God wants to say, everything that needs to be said has been said, then really there's no need for the work of the Spirit, right? Right? I mean, maybe there's some interpretive work, but do you need, like, the third person of the Trinity to do that? Maybe just a couple of smart people will help. But if God is still up to something, if God is still moving and speaking in 2019, in as as much as God was when it was written first, then the work of the Holy Spirit making known what God is doing and saying in the world, in and through the church, and to the believers who make up the church, now we have something needed and necessary. So the earliest Christian communities, I think, you know, if you think about this idea of is God done speaking or revealing, um, it doesn't seem to be the case in the Bible, right? If you look at the book of Acts and the earliest Christian communities, they seem to be hearing from and experiencing God in new and fresh ways for their time and in their day. The Holy Spirit is sort of at every turn out in front of them. Uh, We find that the Spirit, like, tilling the soil of the human heart and of the church for the new things God's doing among them, pouring new wine into new wineskins. From meat sacrifice to idols, to the role of women, to who's included and welcome, to the strict adherence to religious calendars or the nature of Sabbath, or the role of circumcision and baptism, and the list could go on and on and on. These are all things that Jews would have known something about, but that the Spirit of God seems to be doing something different and saying something new and fresh in the book of Acts. That's just one book. I don't, even get, I don't think that's hard to prove. So why did the early covenanters, the mothers and fathers of our tradition, deem the work of the Holy Spirit so vital and so important? Is it possible that God is not done speaking? That God is still desiring to speak and reveal and say something to you and to us right here and right now? In John 16, Jesus says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. So Jesus is saying, everything that belongs to the divine, I I have in my possession, right? The book of Colossians says this as well. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. So Jesus says, everything that belongs to the divine is mine, and that's why I said that the Spirit will take from from me what is mine and give it to you, make it known to you, which is to say that that is an inexhaustible amount of information and experience, what the Spirit of God is doing, continuing to reveal the divine, the infinite divine. So I guess the question I want to ask this morning for us as a church is, do you want to hear? It seems like an obvious one, right? Like, oh yeah, we're all at church, of course we want to hear. But it seemed really obvious when a blind guy came to Jesus and he asked, do you want to see? (laughs) So do you want to hear? Or would you like it just nice and neat? where all the rules are already stated and everybody knows the expectations, when we all know what God has said, we just have to interpret it correctly. Is that what you want? 
Because that's so often what we gravitate towards in religious communities, where it's, it's clear, friends, there is no ambiguity, because ambiguity is uncertainty, and uncertainty is really scary. So do you want to hear? Are you open to a fresh word from God? where something that you previously held as true and you affirmed may change because of new information, where God would reveal more of God's self to you and it would open up a new way of seeing God or yourself or your neighbor or the world. Do you want to hear? We're saying as a church, yes. Yes, we do. God, you, please, our prayer and desire is your voice would be the loudest in the room. Even as loud as Micah might be at times, we're hoping you're louder. So yes. So this is why it was so important to say that we consciously, want to say it out loud, consciously, depending on the Holy Spirit. So then what does it mean? What does it mean for us? I would say at least three things, and then I want to give some space for us this morning to respond, to listen, to sing, to pray. I think it, it means at least, first, we have to let go of control. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you are not in control. <laughs> And, and in all honesty, like, the news of, of a 37-year-old, like, bright voice of our day passing away, I think, confirms that, like, none of us are in control of our lives. Like, any one of us could leave these doors this morning, and for any number of reasons, our life is over. Like, we're not in control of it. We're not in control of our future and all the things that we hope or think it should involve. We're not in control of the weather or our jobs or our health or the stock market, any of it. You're not in control of your children. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, if you raise them in the way of the Lord, they shall not depart. I call bull on that one. <laughs> Maybe a proverb. Uh, a bit of wisdom, but not literal truth every time. Uh, that's another sermon for another day. At the end of the day, ultimately, if we're being honest, our lives are like a series of estimated and informed guesses. Right? Okay, having said that, not to be too depressing, like, if there is a God and this life is not all that there is, two options remain. You can either continue on the path of uh, the illusion of control, where you're grasping and trying all the ways to gather up all the things that you think you're in control of, or just let it go. Like, surrender to the fact that there is a God, and that there is more, and that this God is active and alive and at work in the world, and that I am not alone, and that this God is love and life and actually interested in our being and doing in the world, and that I can trust that that is in fact true. So either I control everything or I try to control everything or I just like take a deep breath, people. <sighs> You're not in control and neither am I, but there is someone who is. So we can rest in that fact that God is in control. I think we have to at least say we got to let go. We got to let go of control or what we think we control if we're going to depend on the Holy Spirit in our midst, right? Because we're not the ones moving all the pieces. Someone else is. Something else is. I think secondly, we have to say, while we may not know exactly where we are going, we, are, we know we are being led by love. And this seems obvious in the New Testament, which I would argue are the chronicles of a group of people consciously depending on the Holy Spirit. 
the apostles and the first followers of Jesus, they didn't always see it coming. You know what I mean? Which I just love reading and, you know, just kind of like watching them in my mind's eye be so surprised when they show up and they're like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit is way out in front of us and we didn't think it would be here, but it is. Like, read the book of Acts with that lens, and again and again and again and again, they show up thinking that, like, they've got the message, and they're ready to roll and tell everybody about it, and lo and behold, God's Spirit is already there. And they never even saw it coming, like a little old lady on a motorized bike. (laughs) And what's fascinating is that the Spirit seems to, like, take the baton from Jesus the Christ and then just keep running, Right? Like, keep opening more doors, keep making the table bigger, and keep making the circle wider. Keeps welcoming more and more and more and more people. Now, for some of us, this may be an alarming and concerning uh, idea. And I would say, well, if we're left in charge, it really should be an alarming and concerning idea. That, like, we're kind of, you know, leading the charge on the, on the frontier of, like, what has God up to in the world? But we're not. Like, we're not left in charge. I'm not left in charge. The church isn't even left in charge, but rather the spirit of Christ, alive and at work in the world, is left in charge. And so we can trust that that spirit, according to John 16, is the spirit of truth and leads us to truth, and we can just faithfully follow that. Not always knowing the destination, we can take comfort in the fact that the spirit is among us and in us, and that this spirit, the one that John's talking about in John 16, is the spirit that has been given everything that was given to Jesus. And if you follow it back, everything in the divine was given to Jesus, and everything in the divine is love. And so what are we being led by? But love itself. So, friends, we may not always know exactly where we're going as the church, and that may like, cause concern for you or make you nervous, but I want to just say like, you do not need to be as scared. Because the Spirit is present, and the Spirit is leading, and the Spirit is connected to Jesus, who was given all the fullness of the divine, and in all the fullness of the divine is love, and is light, and is hope, and is life. So whatever mistake that you make, or whatever mistake I make, this is sort of my mantra as an as a emerging adult in the world, a pastor, leader guy, uh, whatever mistake I make, I'm just going to make it big with love. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to swing for the fences with love, and if I am wrong on it, I'm just going to trust that, like, God's not going to go, you idiot, what were you thinking? Loving all those people. Gosh, you totally missed it. Like, if we're going to, seriously, though, if we're all going to make mistakes, there's something that you believe to be true right now that's wrong, like dead flat wrong right now. So you're wrong in some way. If you're going to be wrong, which you are, and I am, like, let's just actually swing big with love for the fences. Let's just go big or go home, you know? If we're going to make a mistake, I say let's make it with love. Because we're being led by love, so we can trust that. So saying we're going to consciously depend on the Spirit means that we got to let go of some control and trust that something else is actually leading this, this thing and that we are being led by love so we can trust that. We can rest in that. We can take deep breaths and breathe that in and say, God, in my heart of hearts, I want to choose you and others first. And if this is a mistake, my action, my response, my, my doing, being this way in the world, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it with that mistake. And I think lastly, it's going to require us to be better listeners. That's not good news for me. Uh... 
If, if Father Rohr is right and God is a flow, a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three, this circle dance of love, then what was required of you and I is that we really, we really ought to, I, I, I hesitate even saying that, but I'm going to invite you to move towards becoming a better listener. So question for you this morning, are you? Like, would your friends say that you're a good listener? And this is where it's bad news for me. Uh, my wife is a really good listener. And I'm being led by my wife in this way. And I'm learning a lot about what it means to be a good listener. To be someone that's like tuned in to what someone's actually saying. Maybe what they're saying, but then what they're really saying. You know there's a difference? I don't know if you knew that or not. And you can be, you can like, you can hear what someone's saying, but not really be tuned in to what they're saying, you know? So to be a good listener is not just to like be able to say what the Bible says, but to really be tuned in to what God is saying. And there's a lot of Christians and churches in the world that know what God has said, but really are not tuned in to what God is saying. Are you following me? I want us to be better listeners. I want us to be a church that's discerning, who says, we think we're going this way, but then who's, who, who reserves the right to be wrong, who does our theology in pencil. So like we reserve the right to erase something and say, you know what? Actually, I think we may have got it wrong on that one. It's this way. Or, you know that thing? We felt like it was moving in this direction, and then, oh, lo and behold, there's not a pulse there. Okay, Lord, what's there's the pulse, okay? So we course correct. I want to be free to do that as a church, and it will require us to be better listeners. This thing called following God, this is like a relationship to participate in. It's not an equation to solve, so it requires people who are listening and in relationship and interested in being in relationship. So what do we listen for, right? That's the question. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those meetings. I went to one in college. I didn't grow up in a charismatic church, so we didn't talk a lot about the Spirit. We loved Jesus, and we loved God the Father, but the Spirit was sort of like AWOL, you know? So I show up to college, and I go to this Bible study, Bible study, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it was, you know, life in the Spirit. And I was like, this just seems really weird, man, you know? And I, 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 I so we're not, not that, being open to and alive to like the word of the Lord coming to us in our day and in our age. How do we do that? So I want to give just really practical, quickly, a couple of things in terms of how do we become better listeners? What are we listening to? So one, scripture. Like God has said already that the scriptures bear witness to Christ who is the word of God and God uses scripture to reveal God's self. So that's already been stated. So at the very least, we should be people who are listening to, who are reading, who are meditating on the word of God in scripture. So that's one thing for sure. Two, I would say creation. What are we listening to? What are we listening for? Some would say, some would argue that the first word of God was creation itself. You can just pay attention to the world around you and learn a lot about the divine. How God works, what God is interested in, the, the, the complexity and the beauty and the wonder and the awe. Just open your eyes to creation, and we can hear God speaking and affirming the things that God loves. I would say, listen to others. The people around you, those who are closest to you, those who know you and you trust, 
Listen to their voices. They know you and they know your journey. And so if you need to know, am I hearing from the Lord on this? Invite those who are closest to you. I would say as a church, let's listen to the tradition we're a part of, the great perennial tradition, the mothers and the fathers of the church who have gone before us where wisdom lies. Let's not be ignorant to that fact. So scripture, creation, others, and then I'm going to say this one lastly, and then we're going to move into a time of response. And I've thought about this, and I'm going to say it anyways. Listen to your own voice. I think a lot of times we get told, the heart's deceitfully wicked, no one could know it. The last thing you should be listening to is your own voice, your own conscience. Don't listen to it. That's what I was told. I, I actually don't think that's helpful. If the spirit of the living God now dwells in you, according to Ephesians 2, you are a tabernacle, you are the residence of God. The divine lives in you and in me. If that's true and God is going to speak to the deepest parts of your soul, what do you think it will sound like? Like, how else will it work? Now, I'm not saying just listen to your own voice and follow that all the time. Like, we all know unchecked that, hey, Joe, got a problem, my grandpa used to say, or could have a problem. But don't be afraid of your own voice. If, you, if you're a person who's sitting here this morning saying, I don't feel like I ever hear God's voice, I would just maybe offer the possibility that you're not counting your own intuition, your own like soul voice as a way in which God might speak to you. And I just want to suggest that it's possible that that might be true. All these things together, right? The Wesleyan quadrilateral in mind. Listen to scripture. Listen to creation. Listen to the people around us. Listen to your own voice as we try to discern and hear from God, if we're saying we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide, what does that mean? A few practicals. So at Awaken, in our life as a church together, in the life of each believer, we want to be led by and in communion, in union with the Spirit at work in the world. We want to say out loud, we depend on God's Spirit to be present in our midst, to move, to gift, to heal, to empower, to speak, to offer words of hope and life about our future, to direct our actions and our decisions. We want to be animated personally and collectively, by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So we want to say that out loud. We recognize we are not in control, but that God is. And so that, that God is, uh, this spirit is the spirit of truth and is leading us, and we need not be afraid. There's joy and freedom here, not a scaredness, not fear. Everybody take a deep breath. Inhale, exhale. Conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. Let's tune our hearts in, Isaiah, tune our hearts to the spirit, to the melody, to the tune that God is playing all around us. Holy Spirit, help us do that so that we know which steps to take, which way to go, which people to love. Oh, no, that's clear. Everybody. That's my hope. That's my prayer. So I'm going to invite us to a time of silence, a time of prayer, and then I'll sort of direct the rest of our time together if, if you would join me. God, as we take just a few moments, um, this one is, is a hard one for me, and so I pray that uh, if there's anything I'm saying that is not uh, congruent, that isn't helpful, that's leading us off the target, uh, please do your work, uh, erase it from the minds of my friends and mine, and replace it with what is true of you, but if I pray, God, if there's anything that we are talking about and if we're on the trail, that you would just fan the flame, that you would uh, uh, 
take those seeds that are being planted and he would water them and that they would grow in us so that we might be people who hear, who sense, who know what it sounds like when you're speaking and active and moving. This is uh, an art, not a science, and so speaking about it is, it's a mystery, and yet it's not unknowable, but it's infinitely knowable, because it's you. So, in the next few moments of silence, would you lead, would you speak, would you guide? God, this is our attempt, our effort, our hearts uh, as one crying out, a community desperate for you to be alive and active, to be as near as our very breath. So God, for the hurting among us, we pray that you would bring healing, that you would bring healing to body, mind, and spirit. God, for marriages that are struggling, we pray that your peace, your reconciliation, your hope would be infused. God, for those who are hanging on by a thread, I pray that you would comfort, that you would bring a sense of I amness that we are not alone, that you are Emmanuel. God, for the hopes and dreams that are alive and active in the hearts of these people, I pray that as pastors you would give us vision and, and uh, the ability to clear space for those things to happen and to become alive and at work in the world. God, do something only you can do, I pray. Um, tell stories and heal bodies and resurrect things in ways that only you can do so that the only explanation is that you are present and that you are alive and that you are good. God, we want to be a part of something you're doing in the world. We want to say yes to the ways in which you're healing and restoring, bringing redemption and reconciliation of justice. And so all the things we have that we can bring, we bring them to your altar, to your table and say, here we are, Hineni, here we are. So God, use us, send us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the resurrected Jesus. And all God's people said together with joy in their hearts, amen, amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord, my friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.